Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Are You Freaking Kidding Me podcast with me, Joe Vigiano. On this episode, it's another week of football, so that means that we're going to be previewing uh, the games coming up, uh, first starting with the Thanksgiving games, then going into the rest of the games over the course of this long weekend, uh, talking both college and pro football. Uh, additionally, I will be uh, talking about the Jets and Giants and their quarterback situations and how uh, how they are so similar but so different. And I'm going to go a little bit more in detail about the Giants and, and the thoughts behind uh, them tanking the rest of the year. Uh, and finally, I will be talking about the Yankees and uh, the couple of moves that they've made uh, this week. So get ready for another episode of the Are You Freaking Kidding Me podcast. So I'm going to start this off um, pretty strong at this point, uh, especially because we're going to be talking about the uh, the Jets and Giants quarterback situations. And uh, even though they're uh, very different, they're very much uh, the same in, uh, in a lot of different ways. Um, so... Starting with the Jets, the Jets uh, on Sunday after they got blown or while they were in the process of getting blown out 32 to six, uh, they benched Zach Wilson. And then on Monday, uh, Robert Sala decided to not just bench uh, Wilson for the game, but bump him down to third string, basically to make sure that he doesn't see the field on uh on Friday, the Jets play on uh, Black Friday this weekend, uh, or this extended weekend, I should say, against the Miami Dolphins. And uh, they are starting uh, the man who replaced Wilson, and that is uh, Boyle. So I don't really know what to think about this. It, this is a, uh, a tough predicament that the Jets are in, and um, do I think all their problems stem from Zach Wilson being their quarterback? No, I don't. Do I think he has uh, exacerbated that problem? Yes, I do. He absolutely has. Um, he is not a very good decision maker with the football. He hangs on to the ball for too long at times. Other times he makes the wrong decision. Uh, other times it's just it just seems like he's confused about what the defense is doing and doesn't necessarily know how to read that defense that he's facing. Uh, all those things, plus the fact that uh, the, the receivers outside of Garrett Wilson don't know how to get open, uh, and the receivers outside of Garrett Wilson don't know how to catch the football, uh, and then you add in the fact that the Jets' offensive line is almost as bad as the Giants. It's not as bad, but it's almost as bad as, as the Giants' And you have a recipe for disaster, and that's exactly what's gone on. Uh, the only reason the Jets' record is what it is right now is because their defense has uh, played out of their minds uh, for most of the season and was able to uh, keep the Jets in games long enough for the offense to do just enough to win some of these games. A uh, perfect example of that is when they faced the Giants head-to-head. The Jets and the Giants couldn't do anything offensively because the defense has dominated the game. And then uh, down the stretch of that game, uh, the Jets' offense made a few plays to to give them the victory. So uh, the way the Jets' season has gone, it's very much been something like that. And when the Jets' defense has not shown up to play 
like on uh, Sunday against Buffalo, uh, it got ugly, and it got ugly pretty quick. The Jets losing that one 32-6. I really don't see much happening on Sunday when the Jets take on the the Dolphins. Unfortunately for the Jets, it's going to be an ugly game. I hope they can figure it out and find a way to keep uh, to keep it close, but I don't really see it. Not with the way the uh, Dolphins' offense has been playing for most of this year, uh, and the Jets, e- even though they desperately need to bounce back, uh, they're not going to be able to get enough points to keep uh, keep the pace with the Dolphins, and that's going to be uh, big trouble for them. So, uh, hopefully, hopefully we get to see something interesting on Friday, but I'm not, uh, I'm not so sure that's going to happen. Now, as far as the Giants are concerned, uh, I, I just look at it like this. Their quarterback situation right now is, is different than the Jets in the sense that, uh, how they got to their backup quarterback. And at this point, their third string quarterback, uh, is entirely different than, uh, how the Jets got there. Uh, Wilson at least was able to stay healthy for the Jets, whereas the Giants quarterback uh, room has not been able to stay healthy. Um, obviously, Daniel Jones is done for the year with an ACL, uh, ACL tear, and uh, Tyrod Taylor is going to be missing another week this week uh, with his rib injury. Um, so we'll get to see another week of uh, Tommy DeVito uh leading the Giants, and uh, this week they're taking on the New England Patriots. Uh, but uh, I, do have to, I do have to say this. With, with the way the Giants' uh, situation is right now, um, a lot of fans are trying to, uh, trying to will the Giants to tank for the rest of the year. I'm not one of those fans. I, I will not be one of those fans, not this year, uh, not with the way – it has worked out for them in the past. And I, I say it with as uh, as serious as I can here. The Giants need to keep winning games. I get it. A lot of fans want the high draft pick. They want a quarterback. They want, they want either Caleb Williams or Drake May. I'm not one of those fans. I certainly do not want Caleb Williams – for those that have been listening to the show, know my feelings about USC players in general uh, and Caleb Williams being a USC quarterback who has shown he does not have the maturity to be able to handle New York. Um, he does not uh, He does not have the uh, – he might have the confidence to play in New York, but if things start to go bad to uh, bad for him, and we see some of the behavior that we've seen this year from him at USC, the Giant fans will eat him alive, and he will not He will not survive New York. Drake May is a little bit different. Um, I just, after having Daniel Jones as, uh, as quarterback for the Giants at this point, it's hard to trust an ACC quarterback. Um, you look at what Kenny Pickett's doing with the Steelers and that kind of doubles down on my feelings about ACC quarterbacks. But, uh, uh, you know, I digress about, about that piece. Um, the Giants situation offensively, do they have a quarterback issue? Yeah, 
I'm not going to sugarcoat it and say that, uh, you know, the quarterback has been playing well or decently or average or anywhere in that range because prior to to, uh, Sunday, the Giants quarterbacks have been playing terrible with exception of the second half of week two where... uh, Daniel Jones played out of his mind to lead the Giants to a giant uh, to a comeback victory against the Cardinals. Um, outside outside of those two games, essentially those six quarters, the Giants' quarterback room has not played very well, and they've made a lot of mistakes. Now, is that all on the Giants' quarterbacks? Um, I wouldn't say all of it is. I would say some of it is. Uh, when when you see a lot of mental mistakes being made by the quarterbacks, a uh, perfect example of that is, a, is the one that cost them a game in Buffalo where the Giants had the ball on the one-yard line twice. Uh, the first time towards the end of the first half, they mismanaged the clock and they could not score when uh, all they really needed at that point was, was a field goal. If they got a field goal, then... Uh, the last drive of the game where they did get it down to the one-yard line. They could have kicked a field goal and gotten a, and gotten the win. Uh, but it's minor things like that, small things that turn into big things that have led to the issues that the Giants' offenses, offenses had. Um, now, again, the mistakes that the quarterbacks have made uh, that have cost Giants games are uh, are minimal. Um, obviously, like, like I said, Buffalo is one of those examples where a quarterback did cost them a game. But uh, it's not the quarterback. Let, let's just be real here. It's not the quarterback that uh, is causing all these problems with the Giants offense. It's not the receiving room. It's not the running back. It's not the tight ends. Uh, it is the offensive line. The offensive line is so bad, they are so bad, that uh, even in a win last week against a team that can't really pass the cor- uh, pa- uh, rush the quarterback anymore as well as they could have uh, because they traded away their two best pass rushers, still managed to find a way to get nine sacks against the Giants. So you look at, you look at that situation and it's like, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? The Giants need to overhaul the offense in general. That That's my personal opinion. They need to overhaul the offense in general. They need offensive linemen. I would say they need they would need uh, a receiver or two. Um, they certainly need a quarterback. And... Who knows what we're going to get out of Saquon Barkley if he's gonna, if he's going to stay next year? I highly doubt he's going to want to come back, which means that the Giants will also need a running back. So their offense needs an an entire overhaul, uh, and they've needed an entire overhaul minus like a handful of positions um, for a while now, and to think that. Well, if we draft a quarterback, that's going to fix all our problems. 
then you clearly haven't been watching the Giants, not just this year, but you haven't been watching the Giants for the better part of a decade. Because everybody was saying how Eli Manning was the problem uh, towards the end of his career. Eli Manning's a problem. Eli Manning is washed up. Eli Manning is this. Eli Manning is that. And then Eli Manning retires, and what are all the fans doing? They're clamoring for Eli Manning to come back. Daniel Jones comes in, and he gets lit up like a Christmas tree because the Giants' offensive line can't block anybody to save their lives. And guess what? He didn't do anything. He couldn't move the football. Um, He couldn't score touchdowns. He couldn't lead the, the team to victory. And... Of course, what are the fans thinking? Well, Jones isn't the guy. We drafted the wrong quarterback. We drafted the wrong quarterback. We should have gone for somebody else and so on and so forth. So what are we going to do this year? Are we going to draft another quarterback? Are we going to draft Caleb Williams? Are we going to draft Drake May? Are we going to draft Bo, Bo Nix? Are we going to draft Michael Penix? Any one of those, any one of those quarterbacks, Jaden Daniels, any of them, and do and what's going to happen if we do? If we draft one of those quarterbacks, what does any Giant fan really think is going to happen next year? Or and on top of that, what does any Giant think is going to happen in the future? Forget about next year, their that quarterback's rookie year. If they do draft one. What about three, four years down the line when we're in the same situation that we're in right now because we didn't address the offensive line issues, we didn't address the, uh, address the receiver issues, we didn't address the upcoming running back issues. You know, what, what are we going to do? We're going to draft another quarterback and pray to God that this guy is the guy? If you keep drafting quarterbacks and not doing anything else to address the rest of the offensive part of the uh, of the roster, you, it's insanity because you're doing the same things that you've done for at least the last six years now and have led to no results. So the Giants need to figure it out. They need to overhaul the entire offense and not just draft the quarterback. Quite frankly, if the Giants have a top five pick at the end of the season, I'd be looking to trade down and try to build uh, draft capital. Yeah, try to build draft capital. Try to build the roster and build it the right way. The Giants uh, clearly haven't done that, and they need a lot of work. They have a lot of holes in the roster, so trade down, build draft capital, and, and, and bring in somebody that can actually play the game of football. That's my that's my take on this. The Giants need to do that. And frankly, the Giants need to keep on trying to win. If they keep on trying to win, this is a team that needs to change the culture. So tanking is not going to help the culture problem that, that the Giants have. And you can say it's perceived. You could say it's not. You could say that they have a culture problem. You could say they don't. Um, but from what I've seen... The Giants have had a culture problem for the better part of a decade. And it really more so since they've uh, let Tom Coughlin go. 
uh, once Ben McAdoo took over, when the Giants made the playoffs the first, uh, McAdoo's first year, it gave us hope. Gave us a lot of hope. And then the next year, they tanked. And then we said goodbye to McAdoo. We brought in Pat Shermer. Oh, now we got an adult that can actually coach. And he comes in and he wets the bed too. And here we are a couple di- a couple years later looking for another coach. And we bring in Joe Judge, who after a couple of years once again loses the locker room like the other coaches did. And now we're on Brian Dable. What remains to be seen right now with Brian Dable is, are they going to keep it together? Is is that team going to keep fighting? And I hope that this past Sunday is an, is an indication that they're going to keep fighting. But again, it remains to be seen because you could have one good game, but that doesn't mean anything else for the rest of the season. So the Giants need to keep on playing, and they need to keep on playing uh, hard. They need to try to win these games. They cannot afford to try to tank. Um, Again, you want to change the culture issue for the Giants? Win games, because that's something that these coaches have not done when, uh, when the team was not talented or when things weren't going right. Uh, they hadn't won. They hadn't tried to win games. Uh, yeah, Ben McAdoo had a, had a great first season. <laughs> they were what thirteen and three that year. Um, thirteen and three or eleven and five. They were eleven and five that year. The Cowboys won the division at thirteen and three. Uh, but the Giants were eleven and five that, that year. They made the playoffs. Got waxed in the first round of the playoffs. And then the next year, they won uh, two games. Yeah, they won two games that entire year, and and then uh, that was that. Uh, that was the end of McAdoo. They bring in Pat Shermer, who he struggled to get out of his own way, didn't last a second year. Um, Joe Judge comes in. He struggles in his first two first two years and gets fired after his second year. And all of these teams had one thing in common with each of these coaching uh, moves in the second year. When things really started to go bad, these teams did not keep playing. They did not keep fighting. Uh, that is something that the giants need to do. And, and I am in the, I am in the minority here in this opinion. The Giants need to keep trying to win, and they need to win some of these football games. I know that the playoffs are not in reach for the Giants. I understand that. I don't care. Keep trying to win. Keep trying to play hard and earn earn your paycheck. That's all I can really say about that piece. As far as the Giants' uh, opponent this week, they take on the New England Patriots. Uh, this is a game that the Giants could win. This is a game that I think the Giants should win. But, uh, again, they got to do enough uh, to protect the quarterback, uh, which they didn't do last week. But uh, Tommy DeVito showed toughness. He showed some grit. Um, uh, another favorite word that, that uh, analysts like to use uh, when talking about quarterbacks, he showed moxie. Uh, he 
needs to go out there and and build off of what uh what he put on the field last weekend. He needs to build off of that performance and uh and keep getting better. If he can continue to grow, who knows what we got in Tommy DeVito? This is a perfect opportunity for him to audition for that backup uh job next year at a bare minimum and maybe even compete for the starting job next year. It should be fun. Uh, but I think the Giants should should win this game. I think this is going to be a close game. Um, I'm thinking 24 to 21 Giants win. So let's start with the preview of this weekend's games, starting with today and uh, the Thanksgiving games. Um, Thanksgiving and and the football that comes on Thanksgiving is always a fun tradition. And for me, it really started when I was a kid watching watching these games and listening to. Pat Summerall and John Madden talk about these games and, of course, uh, handing out turkey legs at the end of the games, talking about turducken. Uh, you know, anybody that's old enough to uh, remember the uh, games being called by John Madden knows all about it and, and all about the Maddenisms that came out especially on Thanksgiving. Uh, so this year the NFL is commemorating the Thanksgiving games to John Madden as uh, he passed away last year um, and it couldn't be happening to a uh, more fitting individual as John Madden loved being at at these football games on Thanksgiving and uh, doing what he loved obviously talking about football for hours on end and uh, it it's uh it's a shame that we still don't have him to uh call these games because it he built uh quite a tradition and uh he he's certainly missed around in the NFL so the game that starts us off uh this afternoon is of course the Detroit Lions versus the Green Bay Packers these two teams certainly seem to play each other quite often on Thanksgiving and usually it's the Lions that are the underdogs in this game and the Packers uh, being the overpowering force. This year it's different. The Lions are the favorites going into this game. They're the better team, and they usually play pretty well on Thanksgiving. I don't expect uh, it to be different this year. Uh, The Packers coming into this game, uh, they've been struggling all year as uh, Jordan Love has not panned out the way that they had hoped that he would. And, of course, they're having a little bit of uh, growing pains with him at quarterback as they struggle to get out of their own way at times. Uh, I think this game should be a uh, Lions victory, but the Lions, of course, uh, took the Bears lightly last week, turned the ball over quite a bit, and almost... uh, Lost that game. They had to rely on a pretty big comeback uh, late in that game to win the game. And uh, I honestly think the Packers are a little bit more talented than the Bears. So as long as the Lions didn't look past the uh, the Packers this week, this should be a uh, a win for the Lions. As far as the afternoon game, the Cowboys uh, host the afternoon game. They take on the uh Washington Commanders, and this is a story of two different teams. The Cowboys have been beaten up on bad opponents, and the Commanders, while they've been 
playing up to their competition, they have struggled against the likes of, uh, like, for example, last week, the Giants. They, they lost uh, the season series to the Giants, a series that the Cowboys uh, single-handedly uh, just manhandled. And I don't, I don't see how the Commanders stay in this game. I don't see how the Commanders win this game. Uh, there, there is no way that this game stays close. I mean, the Giants' defense got how many sacks on uh, Sam Howell last week? They got they got four sacks on him last week, and the Cowboys' pass rush is a heck of a lot uh, better than the Giants. So this is a uh, this is a recipe for disaster for Washington if they are not able to protect the quarterback uh, this week, which I don't see that they do. I don't think this is going to be a close game at all, and I think the Cowboys uh, run away with this. The final professional matchup of uh, Thanksgiving is going to be a heck of a game. This one should be probably the best of the bunch as the San Francisco 49ers go into Seattle and take on the Seahawks. And this is a game that uh, both of these teams need to have. Uh, Both of these teams are very talented teams, and both of them are going to Probably bring their A game if I had to guess. Uh, the 49ers to me are the more talented team. I think they're the most talented team in the NFC uh, when fully healthy. And it looked like uh, last week the 49ers were back to being healthy. Uh, so I think they have an advantage going into this game. Uh, even though they're on the road, they, they are, again, the more talented team. I think Seattle can keep this close, and, and as long as they can keep the crowd in it, this could be one of those games that could go uh, either way. Uh, however, if the 49ers jump on the Seahawks early and take the fans out of the game, this game could get ugly. Um, but I but I think this is going to be a tight game. Uh, personally, I think it's going to end up being you know 31 to 20 or 24 to 20, something along those lines where it's within two scores or less. Uh, but but I do think the 49ers win this one. As far as the games tomorrow, uh, there's one professional game, and I talked about that a little bit when I talked about the Jets because it's the Jets taking on the Miami Dolphins. Uh, they're playing this game at MetLife Stadium, but I think uh, I think this should be all Miami. Miami should run away with this one, and I don't think it's going to be close. The only way it stays close is if the Jets' defense shows up to play. And last week, they finally gave up, uh, and they they completely broke, and they lost big. This week, if they don't show up to play, the Jets are not going to get enough points to match the Dolphins score for score, and this game is going to get ugly. So uh, the Jets need their defense to play well in this game to have a chance, and I, and I just don't see uh, the Jets really having a chance in this one. As far as the games on Sunday... Uh, there are a few key divisional matchups and, and then a, a couple of uh, out-of-division matchups that have uh, potential playoff implications. Uh, so let's start off with uh, the divisional matchups. And, and the first one that I'm going to talk about is a 1 o'clock game on Sunday. Uh, of course, I'm going off of Eastern time. Uh, and that is the Houston Texans hosting the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Jaguars, I expected them to be at the top of the 
the NFC, the AFC South this year, and, and they've certainly done that. What I did not expect is that the Houston Texans would be where they're at and fighting for the division, uh, as well as fighting for a playoff spot. They currently are holding the seventh playoff spot in the uh, AFC. Um, but this game is going to be a good game. Um, the D'Amico Ryan's era at uh, Houston has gotten off to quite a start. He has got this team believing, uh, and it doesn't surprise me that uh, that he has led this team to uh, quite the uh, start that he has. He was a heck of a defensive coordinator with the uh, San Francisco 49ers over the last few years, and he certainly built a heck of a defense there that has continued to play well, obviously, after his uh, hiring as head coach. But you also are seeing the development of C.J. Stroud in his rookie year as he just continues to get better and better and better each week. And quite frankly, the Houston Texans needed uh, quarterback play like that, and they certainly are getting it. And it's it's quite refreshing to see Houston uh, starting to build something there. Uh, on the flip side, talking about the Jacksonville Jaguars, this is a team last year that came uh, that came on strong towards the end of the year. Uh, they got better and better with their young quarterback, Trevor Lawrence, and they have uh, continued that success into this year. Uh, they are a confident bunch, and this is a team that uh, does not have issues going on the road and playing some good football. Um, again, this, this is a game that... Uh, could go either way, but uh, but right now I'm favoring the Jaguars because I think the Jaguars just have the better roster. They have the more experienced quarterback, and I, I think it's going to be a close game. I'm thinking 27-24 Jaguars win. The next big divisional matchup that uh, I'm going to be previewing is uh, the Steelers going to Cincinnati and taking on the Bengals. Um, this game might have lost some of its shine a little bit as uh, the Steelers are coming into this game following a loss to the Browns and the Bengals are coming into this game following the loss of Joe Burrow. And honestly, because of Joe Burrow being out of this game, I, I think the Steelers win this one. However, I can't say it's going to be a blowout. Uh, the, the Steelers did just fire their offensive coordinator. Matt, Matt Canada is no longer the coordinator for the Pittsburgh Steelers, much to the happiness of Steeler fans. Let's see what that means, though, for Kenny Pickett and the offense. If uh, the offense can turn it around, then it was a great move. If the offense uh, continues to struggle, then maybe you need to look at uh, some pieces of the roster and, and start uh, analyzing them a little bit more and, and seeing where they're messing up. But uh, either way... The Steelers should win this game, especially because we really don't know what the Bengals have. Uh, we know that Jake Browning did not do a great job in the first uh, couple games of the year when Joe Burrow was out, um, and I, I just don't see how he's going to lead the Bengals to uh, saving their season, uh, unfortunately. Uh, I think uh, the Steelers have too much on their defensive front to be able to get to Jake Browning. I think that's going to throw him off entirely and create some mistakes. Uh, as long as Kenny Pickett can play a clean game, this should be a uh, relatively easy Steelers victory. I'm thinking 21-7 Steelers win. 
So the next big matchup we're going to talk about is the uh, Saints versus the Falcons. And these two teams are uh, duking it out for first place of the NFC South. Uh, the Saints coming into the game at 5-5, five and five, the Falcons coming in at 4-6. and six, And the way these two teams have gotten to that point are uh, a little bit different. The Falcons have lost four of their last five games, and they're looking to turn it around. And uh, what a way it would be to turn it around if they beat their uh, rivals, the Saints, at home this week. Uh, that would be a huge, huge bump for uh, the Falcons and especially for their fans. Uh, however, they need to figure out how to play winning football first, and this team has not been able to do that. They they got off to a strong start, and then they have lost four of their last five games. Uh, we'll, we'll see what they bring to the table this week, but uh, I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, the the uh, good thing for the Falcons is that they're coming off a bye, so they had a couple weeks to... Uh, to to figure it out and uh and come into this game fresh however so did the new orleans saints the saints also coming off of a bye uh they had two weeks to figure out whatever uh whatever they needed to figure out and uh come into this game fresh as well so we should see two well-rested teams we should see two teams that are going to be uh battling pretty hard uh on top of that what could be the difference in this game is uh who starts at quarterback for the Saints, uh, whether or not uh, Derek Carr will clear concussion protocol before the game starts. If he's able to do that, then we got uh, then we got a good matchup here. If not, we could uh, see Jameis Winston in this game, and if Jameis Winston plays, uh, we could be seeing a bunch of turnovers from the Saints, which could certainly benefit the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, either way, I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to say that this is going to be a, a tight game, relatively low scoring, uh, 24 to 17. The uh, Falcons win. Now for the non-division matchups uh, that could have some playoff implications. Uh, starting off with the Denver Broncos hosting the Cleveland Browns. I didn't think I'd be getting to this point with, after the uh, start of the season that the Denver Broncos had, but. Sean Payton has certainly turned around the Broncos' fortunes a bit and uh, have, has them looking like a real playoff contender. Uh, the Cleveland Browns coming off of a, a nice win against the Steelers, once again showing how their defense can dominate games, and uh, they're, they're doing it with a backup quarterback. Uh, this is the type of game that uh, really could go either way. It depends on, uh, on what ends up happening in terms of how well Russell Wilson plays. Can he... Can he play a clean game, and uh, can he minimize turnovers? If he's able to do that, the Broncos should win this game. Uh, if not, if the Browns defense takes control of this game and, and uh, makes uh, makes the Broncos make a few mistakes like they have the last few weeks, uh, they were like they did against the Ravens a couple weeks ago. They they uh, the defense is what sprung the comeback, and they uh, they had a nice uh, interception return for a touchdown in that game. Uh, last week against Steelers, the uh, the Browns defense uh, completely dominated that game from start to finish. So uh, this is going to be a fun game. It, I could see it going one of two ways. I could see it being a um, 34-27 type of final where the Broncos uh, win because their offense uh, controls the pace of the game. Or I could see it being an ugly ugly 17 to 13 type of score 
where the Browns win it because defense uh, dominates the game. Uh, right now, I'm leaning more towards the Browns winning this game because their defense has been clicking on all cylinders. Uh, they have been running the ball really well, uh, and even with the backup quarterback, that shouldn't affect uh, that shouldn't affect their ability to run the ball. Uh, and it hasn't affected their ability to run the ball so far. So I'm going to say uh, 17 to 13, Cleveland wins. Another matchup that could have uh, playoff implications here. We got the Philadelphia Eagles hosting the Buffalo Bills. Um, and this was one of those games that uh, people circled on the calendar uh, before the season started and saying, oh, this is a potential Super Bowl matchup. Much like uh, last week, the rematch of the Super Bowl between the uh, Chiefs and Eagles in Arrowhead, uh, this was also looked at as a potential Super Bowl matchup between the Eagles and the Bills. And the Eagles have pretty much held up their end of the bargain as they are 9-1. and one. They hold the best record in the NFL right now. And the Buffalo Bills, on the other hand, are hovering 500 at 6-5. and five. Uh, but the Bills did come out and have a strong performance this past week against the Jets. And let's see if they build off that momentum against a, uh, a much better opponent in the Philadelphia Eagles. This is a game that the, uh, the Bills must have. They need to win this one. And uh, that's a tough situation to be in, especially when you're talking about having to face a team as talented as the Philadelphia Eagles are. Uh, I, I really don't know what to expect here. But, but I think the Eagles should win this game. I think it's going to stay relatively close. Um, I'm thinking somewhere along the lines of 21 to 17, uh, maybe 20 to 17, 24 to 21, something along those lines. Uh, a low-scoring three-point game. And by low-scoring, I mean low-scoring by uh, current-day NFL standards. Um, but this is, a, this is going to be a good game. This is going to be a tough matchup for the uh, for the Bills, and I, I think they fall short in this one. Now I was struggling to uh, to decide whether I wanted to go with one more uh, division matchup or one more out of division matchup. Uh, considering that the Chiefs and Raiders and the uh, and the Chargers and Ravens face each other this week. Um, yeah, it it was really a tough decision. Uh, I don't know uh, where I where I'd be thinking about this one, but honestly, I think the Chiefs w should handle the Raiders relatively easily. Although the Raiders have not been uh, giving up as of late since uh, Antonio Pierce has been their head coach. Uh, the other side, the flip side of this one, uh, the Ravens and and Chargers matchup. Um, the Ravens are coming off a loss. The Chargers coming off a loss. The Chargers have uh, underperformed this year as a whole, and uh, this is a game that could really decide the fate of their uh, head coach, uh, Brandon Staley. Uh, ever since that, uh, that playoff loss uh, where they blew a huge lead to the Jaguars last year, uh, the Chargers were a team that you had to keep an eye on for one of two, for one of two reasons. One, uh, the amount of talent that they have on the offensive side of the ball uh, is... Uh, is unquestioned. They certainly have a lot of offensive talent. Uh, but the other piece of it is, well, did they uh, 
did they have enough faith in Brandon Staley as their head coach to be able to give their all uh, week in and week out and, and bounce back from what was a devastating loss, loss last year? And based on the performance of the team so far this year, I'm going to say that uh, they do not have the confidence in uh, in Brendan Staley to lead this team. And he is very much uh, going to be on the hot seat if things continue to unravel for, uh, for him and the Chargers this year. Uh, I don't see it getting uh, any easier for him this week. Uh, I think the Ravens win this one, and I don't think it's going to be really that close. The Ravens have been playing... Uh, outstanding football from a defensive side of the uh, of the house uh, and they've been getting enough offense from Lamar Jackson and company to be able to uh, to be able to win games and even without Mark Andrews in this game I think the Ravens still win this one and and I think it's going to be uh, not really a close game at all as far as the college games are concerned uh, by 3 30 in the afternoon on Saturday Eastern time uh, we should have uh, a pretty good sense of at least two matchups of uh, conference championships. Uh, the first one being, of course, on uh, Friday night, Oregon versus Oregon State. That is a huge matchup. The winner of that game will likely take on uh, Washington for the uh, Pac-12 title. Um, I-, I think Oregon should win this game. They're the home team in this one. Uh Oregon State had their shot against Washington. They uh, they swung and missed. They they had them at home. It was a close game, uh, but they just didn't have enough uh, in the tank to beat Washington, and uh, uh, and they have to follow that up by going on the road to Oregon. Granted, it's not a far trip, but uh, a huge rivalry game here. And certainly, both teams will be motiv- motivated to play, not just for the fact that it's a rivalry game. But for the fact that if Oregon wins this game, they are going to the conference championship game. And Oregon State wants to do whatever they can to prevent that from happening. So this is going to be a fun matchup. Uh, I think it's going to be a, a pretty tight game. But I think this is going to be a little bit more high scoring than uh, Oregon State-Washington was last week. Uh, as far as the other big uh, matchup with uh, huge playoff implications, this one's in the Big Ten. Uh, talk about a rivalry game, Ohio State and Michigan. Now, as I mentioned a few weeks back, I was looking forward to this game for uh, for a couple of different reasons, one of which being the, all the accusations being flown around by both schools about the other school. Uh, on top of that, how does this spill over onto the field? Are we going to get a lot of chippy play from the uh, – from the players, is there going to be a lot of jawing back and forth? Uh, are they going to be able to keep this game clean? Are there going to be a lot of fouls being uh, committed uh, after the whistle? Uh, all these things I'm looking forward to watching because this is, uh, this is a huge game for both these teams, and they cannot afford to be making stupid penalties that could cost them a chance at a national championship. Now, with that being said, I think Michigan is the more talented team after watching both of these teams play uh, their best competition, which was Penn State. Um, Ohio State struggled their way through that game, and it was a game that, honestly, I thought Penn State should have won uh, had they had any quarterback play from uh, Drew Aller in that game and, and had they had any sort of coaching staff that uh, was capable of making adjustments. Um, but obviously that didn't happen, and Ohio State won that game. Uh, as far as the game against Michigan... 
uh, for Penn State. Michigan didn't throw a single pass uh, in the second half. They did. They did throw one that the play was negated by a penalty. Uh, but outside of that, they ran the ball the entire second half, and they ran it all over Penn State's uh, defense, which was solid against the run going into that game. So Michigan has the more talented team, I think, and their offensive line is going to control the line of scrimmage against uh, against Ohio State's defensive front, uh, and that is going to be a huge difference in this game. Uh, it doesn't matter how good the uh, the talent is in the secondary for Ohio State. Michigan's got enough on offense to be able to uh, to run all over that defense, and I think uh, Donovan Edwards and Blake Corum should have uh, a very very big game for Michigan this week, and you might see a little bit more of J.J. McCarthy throwing the ball against Ohio State than he did against Penn State. Uh, and on top of that, too, the, the uh, Michigan defense is a dominant force, too. Um, again, Ohio State and Michigan, their, their two defenses are amongst the top defenses in the uh, NCAA and it's not by accident. It's not by accident. And this is going to be a game that uh, whoever establishes the uh, the tone early and, and sets the tone early uh, is going to control this game. And I think Michigan's going to do that. I think Michigan wins this game. And I think it's going to be uh, a 24 to 21 final score. Now let's talk about what the Yankees did this week. Uh, the first move they made was they signed a reliever, Yeri De Los Santos, who Pitched in 22 games last year for the Pirates to a uh, 3.33 ERA. Uh, honestly, it's a low-risk move for the Yankees. Uh, it, it falls in line with everything else the Yankees have been doing the last few years, uh, bringing in a lot of low-risk uh, players that could pay off uh, big time. Uh, I, I don't know how uh, how he's going to pan out, but it's a low-risk low move that... Uh, that falls in line with everything else the Yankees have been doing the last few years. Uh, let's see if they make any big splashes, but it's not uh, it's not one that's going to move the needle right here, uh, Yeri De Los Santos. Uh, the other thing the Yankees did uh, is that they hired Brad Ausmus as their bench coach. Uh, I honestly don't think this is a terrible move, even though he was not uh, a great manager where he was at. Uh, Detroit was not a good fit for him, obviously, but... Uh, as manager, as they were a uh, a young team that uh, did not have a lot of talent, so it's really hard to judge his managerial experience based on uh, based on his time in Detroit. However, he is and he was an experienced catcher, uh, and that's not a bad type of person to have as a bench coach. Uh, somebody that played catcher that that knows a little bit about. Uh, about how pitchers need to uh, need to pitch and and knows how to uh, knows how to coach uh, the catchers obviously and and get into the finer details of that. Brad Ausmus was a really good defensive catcher in uh, in his uh, prime, and let's hope that uh, that he teaches some of these uh, Yankee catchers uh, a little bit more on uh, how to play well defensively, especially Austin Wells. So I I think. That's part of the reason why uh, they hired Brad Ausmus was to help with uh, the development of Austin Wells. Uh, I hope that I hope that's uh, 
what's going to end up happening with uh, with Austin Wells is that he defensively develops thanks to the experience of Brad Ausmus. Uh, on top of that, though, too, you can get a little bit of uh, of hitting pointers from him just because of the fact that he had to he had to hit he had, he had to know how to set defenses up in a sense because catchers uh, are controlling a lot of the things uh, just by just by the way they call a game in terms of uh, the pitches that the pitcher's going to throw. So hopefully uh, they that experience of uh, of Brad Ausmus in the major leagues. Uh, carries over to him as a bench coach and, and helps Aaron Boone and the Yankees out. Uh, I'm not I'm not sold that it's a great move, uh, and I won't be sold on that until uh, until we see what actually actually ends up happening. But uh, I'm willing to give it a shot. That's pretty much where my head's at here. I'm willing to give this move a shot and and see how it works out. Hopefully, it pans out for the Yankees. Uh, otherwise, I will continue to bash them until they uh, they do something that makes sense. Anyway, uh, that's going to do it for me here on this episode of the Are You Freaking Kidding Me podcast. I hope uh, all of you have a wonderful Thanksgiving and uh, enjoy the long weekend that, uh, that comes from it. Have a good one, everybody.